This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Team you hate playing again? Yeah, uh, yeah I guess fucking auto, I guess. <laughs> We're a team. Hey you guys, welcome back. It's another episode of the Centurion Overtaking. As always, it's Shane as your host. And today I'm joined by Frankie, who is, originally he's been on the show called Top Shelf Podcast. They just rebranded to the Hockey Prog- Prospect Report. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's been a, it's been a long weekend. Uh, how are you doing today? You know, I'm pretty good. Uh, things are starting to... I mean, they're not getting meant better. You know, things are pretty bad out there right now, but it's it's been all right of a day, I guess. Yeah, things are things are getting crazy. Uh, it's uh, it's been bad. At least we're not started. talking about COVID anymore. Yeah, this is more than just COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, I, as much as we need a distraction, I don't think this is the time for distraction. Uh, this wasn't exactly what I imagined when I was thinking of a distraction either. Yeah, no, this is not. People are like, oh, you need to bring sports back now because humanity needs a distraction. It's like, nah, we, we needed more of a, we need more action than distractions right now. And, you know, for any of the listeners that are in the States, um, hope you're all staying safe right now uh, for, for what's going on out there. It's not fun. I'm thankful that Ottawa isn't in that chaos. Well, there's a protest organized for June 5th, I believe. Yes. Outside of the U.S. Embassy. So I'm hoping I can get to go. I need to look at my work schedule. Yeah. But if uh, if I'm off, I'm definitely going to go. And any anyone in Ottawa who is listening and you have the ability to go, I definitely recommend going. Uh, we're... We're stronger together than we are divided. That's something that I've always preached. That's something I'm going to continue to preach. And, you know, hopefully we can, you know, we can make the change that we want in this world and things can start improving finally. But on the positive note, you know, let's shift to the hockey side of things. Um, We, obviously there's racism in in hockey. We all know that. We have the... uh, Alu, Ali? Akeem Aliu. Yes. That, I believe. I, my bad. I always butcher his name. Non-intentional. I, I may have butchered his name, too. I'm not 100% positive. But yeah. I believe it's Akeem Aliu. Yeah, my bad for trying. I, um, But, you know, we've heard about him. Evander Kane has stepped up. You know, we've had Logan Couture, Blake Wheeler, Nick Foligno. I believe Nick Foligno stood up. But I know Logan Couture and Blake Wheeler for sure have – have come out and said some some stuff, and that's what it takes. I think you know, if my my analogy was if white people were as mad as they were when Kaepernick took a knee, there would be change right now, and I stand by that. But hopefully, hopefully we we can get together, unite together, and and get the change that we need. But um, there is some hockey to talk about. And that's why we have Frankie along with us to talk about this 2014 playoff format. 
Uh, as some of you may recall, he is a Montreal Canadiens fan. Uh, we had Mason on last week to talk about it, but I wanted to get an outsider from the podcast to come on and kind of see where his opinions lie on everything. You're opening up Pandora's box here, Shane. <laughs> hey, I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. I'm, uh, I don't know. I've, I've gone on debates. If, if, if any of you have followed me on Twitter, you've seen some of the things that I've been going back and forth with. And um, I think that this system ultimately is about as fair as you can get it for picking up in the middle of a season and cutting it off. You know, you can't just tell the teams that were on that playoff bubble kick rocks. And at the same time, I also don't think it's fair to tell a team like Montreal, look, we're going to force you to play in the playoffs and you have no chance to get a good pick at all either. Because, you know, they were going to have a chance to get that number one pick. So I think that there's – they were kind of backed into a corner with this, and there wasn't a whole lot they could do to keep it 100% fair. Uh, but I think they did about as good of a job they could have, you know, with, with what they were given. And correct me if I'm wrong, though, that, that second stage in the lottery is everybody has the same odds. Am I wrong there? Um, I think – from what I saw, it's the phase one is the top three, um, where they do the bottom seven plus the eight placeholders. Yep. If any of the top three picks are won by one of the placeholders, phase two will happen. If none of those placeholder teams win one of the top three picks, the phase two won't happen, and they'll be slotted in point percentage order from worst to best from like eight through 15 at that point. Well, I heard somewhere that um, if one of the placeholder teams ends up taking the first overall pick, there's like a second lottery where they they throw everybody in, everybody has the same odds to get that number one pick. Yeah, it's weird. Like phase only happens if uh, one of these placeholder teams, eighth or whatever, wins a lottery position. Yeah, I, it, it is probably going to happen just because there are, you know, there are better odds that we see, you know, a team in the, in the bottom eight, in bottom eight as in, you know, the, the eight teams the in the play-in games. Yeah, the placeholder yeah. teams. There's a, there's a higher chance that one of them wins first overall pick as the eight teams combined than I believe Detroit does. So, yeah, but Ottawa has the best percentage. What, what? Yes. Ottawa has the best percentage because they have two picks, but technically Detroit's pick is the highest percentage yeah. pick. At but 18.5 and Ottawa's sitting at combined 25%. I, every time I see that stat of the, the bottom eight teams have this – 24% chance and oh that's that's way too much for eight teams and you know they had a chance to win the playoffs I think honestly I think we're kind of forgetting that the top seven have a 75% chance to get that first overall pick and I think we're putting too much of an importance on a 24% that is divided up by eight teams as opposed to you know the other 75 that is just kind of being forgotten a little bit yeah I mean I just to me I don't like it. If you have a chance, like, I mean, I understand why, because you can't just tell those eight teams to kick rocks. 
if they miss out on going to the playoffs because that's unfair to them. But at the same time, I feel like having Ottawa or Detroit lose out on a top pick to a team. Like, for example, let's say uh, Toronto gets loses to uh, Columbus in the play-in round. And, you know, they, they were technically – they were going to make the playoffs as the third, like the third seed in the Atlantic. I think, you know, that, that's the problem that lies, is that you actually have a playoff team, you know, even if, like, Montreal-Pittsburgh. Or, like, if Pittsburgh and Toronto lose, and one of those two teams wins a top three pick, there's going to be uproar about it. Because those two teams were legitimate playoff teams, barring any major collapse, or may, especially Toronto, because I highly doubt Florida would have been able to knock them out of that last wild card, that last spot in the Atlantic. So, in that aspect, I can see where fans are upset. But if a team like, I don't know, Chicago wins, they were out of the playoffs anyways. Like, if Chicago were to get eliminated and then they were to win the lottery, they would most likely be sitting in that eight, eight, nine spot. They actually have a legitimate chance at winning the lottery. So, like, it depends on which team I find wins that lottery will depend on how fans react to it. And I, I'm kind of in that boat, too. You're, I, I fully expect teams like Toronto, you know, will win their round. Um, but I think the, this problem would have been easily solved if they would have said, okay, look, these bottom or these eight teams that played in the play-in round, we're going to see them by their points percentage when this is done, and we're going to give them the regular odds they would have to win the first overall pick, right? I don't understand why they took everybody and gave them, I, I believe it's like 12%. They gave everybody a 12% chance or whatever it was to to win that first pick in that, in, in that uh, second lottery. So I, I, I can't understand what the point of having a lottery is if there's, if it doesn't matter where you finished. Yeah. I mean, I just, why I hate the fact that the draft lottery, it, like what's the point of the plane? What is the point of these placeholders when you could have just held the lottery? <laughs> um, held the lottery after the playing round. I think that comes down to them just being worried that teams that don't have hockey right now are going to be bored. Like the senators won't have hockey likely until January right now. So okay, in order to keep the, their- you know, the draft lottery for one day and then they're done for who knows how long, what's waiting an extra two weeks going to do. I don't know. And I don't have the answer for that. <laughs> I wish I did, but I, I think too, at the same time, if the Sens do come out winning number one and two picks, you know, I think that there's a lot more excitement in Sens nation than there is if they have to keep waiting for the draft lottery to happen. Oh, I agree. I just think that it's ridiculous that, you know, I know they said July 10th. So realistically you'd be probably waiting about a month, but it's just the fact that you're doing this and then you won't find out who those placeholder teams are anyways until the playing round is over. So why one, why even bother and just wait till the playoff like playing round is over? Because you're probably not having the playing round until August. So we're probably not gonna have uh, a decision until middle of August. 
So now you're telling fans, because here's the thing. If you have a placeholder team win, you're going to have to wait for the playoff round anyways to decide who actually wins that play that that lottery so what's the point unless you really they must feel really confident that none of the placeholder teams win a top three pick i don't know where that confidence i don't know where that confidence would come from unless like you said it it is rigged (laughs) they they would have to have pretty good confidence that they've set it up where on paper they've given these teams a good chance but you know if you're dividing if they only have a 24 i think it's what 24.5 percent chance it's it's about 24 percent 24 and a half you're right 24 divided by eight you have three percent chance each team each eight through 15 team has a three percent chance of winning the lottery so they must feel pretty confident thinking that these teams have no chance in winning the lottery. See, but that three is minuscule by itself. But when you put them all together, that 24 and a half, that's a quarter of the time. Um, Again, you know, there's still the other three quarters of the time. That's a lot more likely to happen. But it's certainly not impossible for them to to jump up into the one, two, or three spot. And we're probably going to see at least one of them happen. I hope not. I mean, I think – I understand the point of the lottery. I just think it's stupid. I think it hurts teams more than it helps teams. The team that I feel – like, honestly, I can't say I feel too, too badly for the Senators. Uh, what what overall – or what percentage do they have? Like 23? They have 25. They have 25%. 25 exactly, or like 25.8 or something like that. The team that I feel the worst for is the Red Wings. You know, they um, – they were going to have the same odds to win anyway, but they're, they are so bad. Like, there's, there has to be a line, right? Where Detroit, I don't that for Detroit because they put themselves in this hole. Right. Like they held on to old talent, old names for far too long and put themselves in this hole. You know, it's the so, same thing I feel about New Jersey and, Detroit, and L.A. They put themselves in this hole, and they hadn't put themselves in a position to succeed. Ottawa has put themselves in a position to succeed. Way before the rebuild, because you look at guys like Batherson and and Formington that were part, and Colin White and Thomas Shabbat that were part of this team before this rebuild happened. I couldn't really. I don't think you, if you look at the prospects of the bottom five teams outside of like bottom four to the five teams outside of San Jose, because you want to say that this is just a one of for that team. Anaheim's prospect pool is not that great. LA's prospect pool is not that great. Neither is Detroit. Ottawa has the best prospect pool out of all of those teams. Even if you take away the trades they made for Brandstrom, Abramoff, Davidson, and Norris, and Balsers. Yeah. I, I won't disagree with that at all. I, th- I think that's, you know, pretty fair to say. Like, I, even as a Habs fan, I won't deny that the, the future for the Senators is, is bright, assuming those players are developed properly and brought up through the system, which has been the case for the last couple of years. So I'm, I can appreciate that. Um, the one question I have for you, though, is as a Sens fan, uh, do you think that they did the Sens a disservice by setting up the lottery the way they did? The worst we can do, I think, is 4-5 five or 5-6. Five, 
You know, I think between two and ten, you can make an argument for anyone in any of those spots. The only the only person that the only player in this entire uh, draft that I think you can label as a bona fide NHL superstar is is Lafreniere. I don't think you can look at Byfield. You can look at Stetzel, Liddell, Holtz, Rossi, Raymond, Perfetti, Quinn, and actually be like, this guy is an NHL, a bona fide NHL superstar. This guy has will streamline right there. I expect Lafreniere to be considered one of the best left wingers in the game within his, by the end of his entry level deal. I don't think we're going to see any anyone. Uh, who are outside of that Byfield, Rossi, Lafrenia, uh, uh, Stencil, all those guys even play in the NHL next year. We might not even see uh, Lafrenia play in the NHL next year. Um, on my show that comes out Monday, uh, we talked to um, Tate and Cody from the O Show, and they were talking about how Quentin Byfield could go to the NHL next year. But considering the NHL is going to start in January next year, they might tell those players to go back to the OHL for the beginning of the year, and then they're stuck there. So it is entirely possible that nobody from this draft class this year actually plays in the NHL. Yeah, and I mean, I know there's talk of going to, for Lafreniere going over to Europe on a short-term kind of a loan where Ramuski would loan him to a, a European club. But... In my opinion, I don't see Byfield as being an NHL player for another two years. Yeah, I think if anybody needs to go to Europe, I think it's Quentin Byfield. I think Quentin Byfield would benefit massively. He just going needs over to learn Europe. how to play with his size. He's six four, but plays like he's five two. Part of that's how young he is too. We, we forget. <laughs> that he's going to get dominated in the NHL. I, I can't. I can't stand that age. Uh, that age excuse. When it comes to, to players like this, if you're if you're a top five pick, nine times out of ten you're expected to make that jump right into the NHL. And if you're having issues dominating physically against people in your own age group, and the excuse is, oh well, he's the youngest player in the draft. Okay, that means he's, if he makes the NHL next year, he's going to be the youngest player in the NHL, going against guys like Couturier or Getzlaff or Couture. And especially if he ends up on one of those bigger uh, Western Conference teams, which is entirely possible. If he ends up in Ottawa or Detroit, you you really think he's going to match up well against Bergeron or Krejci in Boston or Stamkos at Point, and mainly Stamkos in Tampa, or uh, Barkov in Florida? He's going to get dummied in the NHL. And people are just going to be like, oh, he's a kid. Yeah, he's a kid playing against men. He should go back to playing against kids. and learn how to dominate against kids. I don't know if it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to bring up another point that I never really even thought about, but I completely agree with that. We were told by uh, Tate and Cody and they said, because of the way that the NHL CHL agreement is structured and the way it limits players from playing in the American league until they're 20, it could, it Quentin Byfield is the prime example of a player whose growth is going to be stunted by that rule. So he's either got to go back and play against kids for another year and put up, you know, two and a half points a game, or he's got to go to the NHL and play third, fourth line minutes. He needs what he needs really is that in between right now. And because of the way it's it's structured, he can't have that. 
I don't think he needs that in between. And I would love to talk to these guys, but I think he's one. Prime example is Ty Smith. Ty Smith, you know, he was one of the last cuts in his rookie camp for New Jersey. And each year he's gone back to the Western Hockey League and has dominated more and more in the Western Hockey League. That's the growth you want to see. Because what? Because playing in the AHL, okay, yeah, you're playing against mostly, you're still playing against men. And he hasn't dominated the OHL in a way that, in my opinion, would, would give confidence that he could even produce consistently at an AHL level. And again, I could be wrong, and you know, if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll admit I'll be the first to admit when I'm wrong about a prospect. But I just I think going back to junior is the best thing for Byfield. He gets to go. You know, Otto is probably not going to be as strong, so he probably has an easier path in the uh, in the East in Sudbury. And you know, I, he helps lead a team through like uh, he because he most likely won't have to go through Ottawa. He doesn't have to go through Kevin Ball. And I think that's my issue, is that I watched him this year and last year get just manhandled by someone who is much taller than him, much stronger than him. It wasn't just him. I mean, in the games I watched, Marco Rossi was a huge factor in that kind of thing, too. Mar- Marco's a fantastic defensive player, and Quentin couldn't oh. really deal with that. Oh, 100%. But you, like, every time Byfield was on the ice, Ball was on the ice. Yeah. And Ball would just hit him, and he would just take him out of the game. And part of part of what we don't see, though, and as a junior hockey fan, I do kind of see is just the mismanagement that Sudbury has given him. You know, if they would have actually made an effort to give him a better team, they would have been so much better. You know, he scored almost two points a game, and they still finished too damn close to 500 to have possibly the best player in the league. Other than Marco, I'm, it, it's kind of a toss-up between the two of them, if I'm honest with you. Um, but, I, I mean, I think he's going to end up back in juniors next year. I don't think he'll play with the Wolves for, for the entire season. I think they're going to trade him. Um, I think a team like Barry might end up with him come the season's end. And I, I think once we see Quinton Byfield in the playoffs on a good team with a chance to go to a Memorial Cup, I think things could change a little bit. But for now, I don't quite see Quentin Byfield as that ready to take that second-line role. I think if you're going to put him in the NHL right now, it has to be a third- or fourth-line role, absolute maximum. Yeah, and I mean, I, I wish the kid nothing but success. And I think, like, as, as much as I harp on him, and I'll, I harp on every prospect. Every prospect has their, their flaws and the areas they need to develop. That's just how it is. But that's why they're prospects. You know, like, I would love for Byfield to stop. You know, if Ottawa, let's say Ottawa drafts him, you know, and he comes on, he wins a starting role and earns a, a starting roster spot. And he comes on, he goes on a tear. You know, he's at a, like, he, first 10 games, 10 points, whatever. I will be the first to be like, cool, this is really great to see. Now let's see if he can continue it. Because obviously I'm not going to say, oh, he's going to be, he's a star 10 games into his career. But if he, you know, comes in, has 10 points in 10 games and the team's winning and he's playing on all the situations and he's showing that he can be an NHL superstar, I will be the first to, to eat my words and be like, okay, this guy is showing that he's NHL ready, but let's see if he can continue it. And 
I just don't think it's that. I don't, I don't think it's there for him right now. I think, you know, maybe, maybe it is his age. And if that's the case, what's one year? Cause he, what, isn't he like a like couple weeks away from being a 2021 pick anyways? Yeah. So yep. what's, what's the harm of sending him back down junior anyways? If he's yeah. not close to being on the cutoff, is it really that detrimental to send him for one year in a draft year that he would be in? The guy, I mean, he scored 82 points in 45 games, um, 32 goals, 50 assists. Um, there's, I wouldn't say there's so much of a harm to send him down, but at some point he can only get so much better under OHL tutelage against younger competition. Um, the, the one huge benefit you would have to sending him down next year is having him play in the World Juniors, assuming we have those. Um, I think that competition for him next year is absolutely a must to send him to. Whoever drafts him, if they keep him on the NHL roster during those World Juniors, I'd have serious questions unless, you know, he's playing absolutely out of his mind in the NHL. 100%. Um, you know, my... I, I don't know. I feel like Byfield's an interesting case. I had something on my mind, and I just I totally blanked on it. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll add on to, like, there's an important distinction to make for us. It's not that we don't think Quentin Byfield is a great prospect, because I think he's absolutely, he's got all the tools in, in the toolbox to be, you know, one of the best players in the NHL. I just don't think that he has them all yet. I, I think he needs a little bit more fine tuning, a little bit of time to grow into himself a little bit. And, you know, a little bit time of time playing against grown men to, to get stronger, to get not, not necessarily smarter. I think he's at that level now, but I oh, think. IQ, I, I feel his IQ is pretty high for, for a guy his age. Yeah. And I mean, you know, th- there's so much upside upside with Byfield. I think he just might need a little bit longer to get there than other players in this draft. In my opinion, he's a raw prospect. He is your definition of a boomer bust kind of prospect. Um, I would say the odds of him being a buster are fairly low. I'd, I'd say you're pretty safe. I wouldn't say that your odds of getting a superstar are exceptionally, you know, like gonna, impossible think, to yeah, miss. The comparison to Malkin is fair in terms of like, you know, you can get that legit number one center because Malkin on any other team is the number one center. Yeah. But he will slot in perfectly as a number two. Oh, for sure. And, and is it really, if you have a, like, is it really worth drafting a, a number two center in the top five? And I think that's, you know, he has to have that potential to be number one. A, a legitimate number one center, you have to feel yeah. like he can be a number one center if you draft him that high. I see and where then, you're coming from. Um, but I also think that if you have a guy who's six foot four and skates as well as he does, scores as well as he does, and as smart as he d- is, I'd, I'd say I would pick him inside the top five just to get all of those things on my team. Because he is the kind of center that teams pay, you know, $10 million for and cannot find one of these guys. He is an absolute freak. Yeah, but he's six four, but he looks like he, like, build-wise, he does not look that big. Well, that's because he's, you know, a very young 18. So, like, my, if you look at Jack Hughes, who is just small in size and small in stature, and then you look at Byfield, who's tall but small in stature when it comes to just, like, 
his build. And yes, he should grow into it. He should fill out over the next four years. Um, honestly, my my thinking is is that this is going to be kind of a Nathan McKinnon situation. He's going to to stumble. He's going to hit that like fifty point mark for a couple of years, and then one year it's just it's all going to come together, and he's just going to be in like that eighty to ninety point range. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, like uh, if Quentin Byfield is going to get to that point, I think it's going to take a little bit of development, a little bit of you know patience. A, a patience, a little bit of a push in the back from coaching staff. Uh, but I think ultimately he's going to be a good player. Um, I just don't know how all of our conversations always come back to Quentin Byfield. <laughs> I think he's the most polarizing player in the draft. That's why. Yeah, he I don't. Has, he has all the talent, but he, you know, yeah, you can factor in his age. You can factor in that he plays for Sudbury. You can factor the fact that he plays smaller than he actually is. And if you're a scout and you're in that bubble of drafting him you're most likely looking at him being like, okay, we're sending him down to Sudbury. We're sending him back to junior. I don't think as, as a scout, you can confidently look at Byfield and be like, he's going to be a day one starter. And I don't think you can confidently say that about anyone else outside of Lafreniere in this draft. And if there is, it's probably Stutzel just because he's been playing against grown men over in Europe. If you stick him at a position throughout the training camp, you can probably do it. But even Marco, like all these other guys, you you look at and you're like, okay, he's, he's they're not day one starters. They'll probably need some conditioning. Byfield's that guy where his skill makes up for his lack of physical ability, but doesn't make up for it enough for him to be able to survive a full NHL season. And would he be better off going back to junior? And I think that's the polarizing factor of Byfield is that. You, he is such a player that like you don't know what to do with him. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, that, that middle ground would be absolutely fantastic to just have that option, but unfortunately you don't. So like I said, I think world juniors is going to be important to get him to. He'll be under the guidance of, you know, some of the best coaches Canada has to offer, you know, led by Andre Torney. Um, I think that would be like irreplaceable for his development to go back there again. I think my, my big thing was that when they did the players coach awards, like when the, basically when the coaches did their polls of who was the best in like certain things, like the best offensive player, the best like centerman, that kind of stuff. I didn't see Byfield on a single list. He was competing against Marco Rossi, which is difficult when Marco Rossi beats Lafreniere for points in the league. Also kind of, but he, like, they were showing, you know, the top three. And I think I only saw him in the top three once. I don't even care about him winning or being named number one. He was just – I didn't see him on any of the top threes. And, yeah, he put up 82 points in 46 games. But is there – like, what does that say about the coaches who were in the Ontario – like? Are they not impressed with him? Is there somewhere like, is there something that they were thinking about during this? Like, is he, there's so many questions when I see something like that, because these are the coaches that see this kid and watch this kid and are in that league every day. 
So I, I think this speaks more to about what the Sudbury Wolves are as opposed to what Quinton Byfield is. Let's, let's, let's run over what they looked like this year. Um, Byfield had 82 points in 45 games. David Levin had 73 points in 57 games. Uh, Blake Murray had 72 in 63. And then there's a massive drop-off, and Macaulay Carson had 50 in 63. The Sudbury Wolves this year simply weren't very good, and had they not had Quinton Byfield, they would have missed the playoffs. No doubt in my mind. Oh, 100%. Right, they yeah, were. Quinton Byfield is going to be a great player. It's just when you see the coaches, because this isn't about team, right? So you should be able to identify like this player is really good, even on a bad team. Right, but I, it's just harder to to recognize. Marco Rossi is really, really easy to look at and say mm, he was fantastic this year. You know, the the team was great. He scored what a hundred and something points. Eight points, I think. Yeah like absolutely just astronomical amount of points and the team was winning. So you can look at them and be like, yep, he was the best player in the league. You know, that his team won all the time. Especially considering the fact that when he would miss that five games to start the year, we were what three and three. They were the 67. I, I think that had more to do with the fact that we didn't have Joe Gareffa, to be honest with you, but. But we also know, didn't have Rossi. And I think that played. No Rossi, game. no Gareffa. Clark also got hurt in that span. Like it was. Just Our an absolute disaster. That's, the 67's offense took a hit during that. Yes. That is the biggest understatement I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Like, I think he's, he's the most polarizing player, and he's going to be one of the players that I think you're going to – people are going to watch, and he's going to be under the microscope more than anyone else. Yeah, I think we all know what Frenier is. I think it's pretty obvious. Um, you know, he's going to be a Sidney Crosby-type player. Not to say that he's going to be Sidney Crosby, but he'll bring that kind of game. Um, and then Byfield's going to be a little bit of a question mark. Uh, but do we want to get back to uh, <laughs> the, the, the play-in rounds and all that stuff? Because we got super sidetracked there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's usually what happens when I talk hockey. I get just super sidetracked on things. Um, but, yeah, the, the playoff format, in my opinion, is ridiculous. And, I mean, I understand why they do it. I understand. I think it's the, the fairest of them all. In, in what way ridiculous? I don't think Montreal and Chicago deserve it. I'm going to surprise um, you here. I agree with that 1,000%. Like, I just – you probably – like, but the problem – are you going to cut it off at 22? You probably could have cut it off at 22. You know, you, you probably Pat could have. It makes smart. It's a smart business decision on the NHL to make it twenty-four. You get through. You have basically all but one of the original six teams in. As much as I hate to say it, because I, I hate the original six term, but you know that's how it's going to be marketed. Where you're going to have, you know, Pittsburgh versus versus Montreal, and I think what Chicago. Uh, I don't even. I don't even remember who Chicago's playing. Neither do I. Um, but I think it's Edmonton. It is Edmonton. Chicago I mean, person. you look, you you're you're looking at Montreal and Chicago, and you're like, do we let these teams with just massive fan bases in the playoffs, or do we tell them see you in January? Mm, you're going to the playoffs. We're gonna make so much money off of these two teams being in there. Crawford and Price 
alone, if they can just bring, like if Crawford's healthy and could bring back 2014 or 2015 Crawford and Price comes back like from 2016, that's a completely different, completely different series, you know, and then you have to look at the fact that, you know, Montreal is going to be healthy. Pittsburgh, like, this is going to be an intense playoffs because most teams are going to be 100% healthy. Yeah. It's a little bit... Even Taze versus McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah. That is going to be epic. I am, I am super, super interested in this Montreal-Pittsburgh series, not only because I'm a fan, but because I think Montreal actually matches up pretty well with Pittsburgh. Especially uh, if Drew Ray's back. Drew Ray will be back. And, that, I mean, that's a lot of speed. Now, the issue becomes um, we don't think Domi's going to play unless it's safe enough. And he's not the only one. Capo Caco won't play either. And I'm, I'm sure there's others around the league. Uh, but if Max Domi's not playing, it's over. So, you know, I hope that – selfishly, I hope that he's able to play. But ultimately, you know, it's more important that he stays healthy. So, you know, that could take away a little bit. But – if he's playing, I think honestly, I'm pretty confident the way, with the way Montreal starts seasons with Carey Price being on fire that they get out of that play-in round. I would love to see Matt Murray lead Pittsburgh on another deep playoff run, just to fuck that fan base. Yeah, just I would love to see him leave. Like it, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on my show, but he. Uh, we we went over that he should just say, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to Carolina. See ya. Carolina, uh, come to Ottawa. Our goaltending situation's up in the air right now. Um, you go somewhere much. where the cup can come. Pardon? You go somewhere that has a chance to win a cup, and I think Carolina's in that boat. Yeah, but Carolina already has Reimer and Mrazic under contract. They both kind of suck, though. I would, I would replace Reimer with Matt Murray in an absolute heartbeat, and I would let okay, Mrazek be my you're backup. A former sixty-seven sucks. Well, and okay. I never thought I would. Okay, 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 okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before, <laughs> before we, before Peter Mrazek, one of the most, one of the best goaltenders to ever play for the sixty-sevens, sucks. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. Oh my god. Before we go all this crazy talk, okay. <laughs> Peter Mrazek is one of the best goalies in sixty-sevens history. He is an absolutely fantastic backup goal in the NHL. He is Isn't not. The reason why he, he, Would you take Peter Mrazek or Matt Murray? Peter Mrazek. Really? 100%. Wrong answer. <laughs> Matt Murray, yes, he's won two cups. But it's not hard to win two cups and, and when you're standing on your head uh, with that kind of team in front of you. Okay, fine. Let's get, get rid of James Reimer. We'll have Matt Murray and Peter Mrazek. You'll have two good goalies, and you ride the hot hand the entire playoffs. <laughs> Deal. Compromises, baby. Like, Peter Mrazek is one of the only reasons why Carolina was any good this year or last year. He well, I mean, there's... Had one, he, he, he stole them games in the playoffs. Okay, Shane. They beat the Toronto Maple Leafs with a Zamboni driver in net. Yeah, but I feel it like clearly that, it can't be that hard to be a goalie in Carolina. Either. That's not true. I feel, <laughs> I feel like Toronto fucked that game more than Carolina won. That well, game. Toronto Toronto was brutal. I turned that third period on just to watch that, and that was the funniest thing I've ever okay. seen. Oh man, I would take Matt Murray, but I mean, I would also take Corey Schneider in Ottawa. Ooh, because oh, if you okay. actually look if you look at his first like couple of years in New Jersey, the, his first year in New Jersey. 
he had a below two goals, uh, a goal against average of below two. And New Jersey just couldn't score. I think a change of scenery would be great for, for Schneider. I think he, if we if Ottawa needed a backup goaltender, we need the cap. We can need the cap anyways. Taking Schneider on for two years wouldn't hurt. Hogberg's your number one. Schneider's your backup. You're run with it. Isn't he old as dirt at this point? He's only like 34. Yeah, he's 34. I mean, you're not upgrading yourself from Anderson. I, honestly, I'd say I, it's a downgrade. I, I would – I what, taking a 34-year-old goaltender versus a 40-year-old goaltender? No, no, I'm, I'm saying is in skill caliber-wise, Corey Schneider is a downgrade from Craig Anderson. I don't think so. I think he's just tired of playing in New Jersey. <laughs> I think he'd be happy to play anywhere. He played 13 games this year. <laughs> he yeah, actually, he was also hurt. Games. I mean – I think I think Schneider would benefit from a change of scenery. Um, Matt Murray would benefit from a change of scenery. Carter Hart could just fuck off and go to the West. <laughs> Carter Hart's gonna lead that Flyers team on a on a cup run one of these. Yo, games. honestly, I'm so excited. I want to see it. Like, I want to see Hart and Konechny and Giroux. Gostas Bear, Provorov. Fuck Gostas Bear, but definitely Provorov. <laughs> Um, I didn't know you could swear on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, we can swear. Um, <laughs> uh, fuck Goss's bear, but definitely Provorov, Sandheim. I'm about those. Those two. Giroux, Ottawa boy. Oh, obviously. Couturier, Voracek. Love it. Oh, another 67 at some point, too, maybe. Um, I want to see Nolan Patrick back. Hopefully, he can get on the ice. And Man, migraines are tough. Yeah. Migraines are tough. You know, I, I wish him, I'm wishing him the best, but like, you know, I think Philly could be a team to, that could be scary. Philly, this Philly's an interesting team for me in this bracket. I think Philly is either that team that was really, really hot and they're going to kind of come back down to earth, or they're going to get really friggin' hot and they're just going to wipe through everybody. Carter Hart's going to win Con Smith. You think so? 100%. If they. If they can get home ice advantage, they're even in a hub city. Well, it won't matter then. But like, if they're considered, well, if they're considered the home team, I I have Philly winning it. I would not just be surprised. What was it? I think twenty eleven was the conference final with Philly and Boston. No idea. <laughs> there was one year with Philly and Boston in the playoffs. I'm calling that as the Eastern Conference final this year. Philly versus Boston going to seven. Tuka versus Hart. Yeah. You know, I could see that. I don't think that there's – unless you think Tampa Bay is going to get there. But then again, we also don't know the seeding yet for those top four teams because they still have to play their stupid little play-in tournament or round-robin seeding tournament. Which, I mean, I understand because you can't just let them be this – you can't have them playing teams who've played a maximum of five games. And you have to make it worth something for them to play. I get it. And but this... for example, like the only teams it actually hurts is Boston. Everywhere else, it's a toss up, anyways. Right. But if so, you're the Boston Bruins right now, you're pissed. But Philly and Washington were going neck and neck. I think it was, it was um, 
Vegas and Calgary, I think it was, for the Pacific. Vegas and someone, but they were going neck and neck. And then you had St. Louis and Colorado going neck and neck. I think that the Boston Bruins are the only team that gets screwed over in this whole thing. Yeah, because they were the, they were the clear-cut favorite. They were going to win the President's Trophy. Yeah. They were going to run away with the Atlantic. They're the only team. But you can't just stop it. You can't just say, no, we're not doing it for one team. When yes. there's three other divisions who no, are... No, absolutely. And the whole point I was trying to make with this is I've seen a lot of Twitter, and I know I follow a lot of Sens fans, and Detroit Twitter has been the same. All these teams that are in the bottom six are saying, oh, well, we got screwed over. No, you didn't. Your odds are the same, okay? It is essentially like you didn't have COVID. You guys did not get affected at all, other than the fact that you won't have hockey for a while. That part absolutely sucks, and I'll agree with you on that. But in the grand scheme of things, your odds were untouched. The team that really got screwed over in this is Boston, who would have played the weakest opponent available through the entire playoffs, but now might finish, you know, the lowest seed of those four teams. Well, I mean, no, because I think they're still doing it by division, right? They're not going one through four. I thought they were doing... I I think it's one through four based on that seeding tournament. I thought the seeding tournament, you were playing a a best of five against your cross-division opponent and then oh i think i think they all play one another one time and that's stupid then they, they all play yeah they all play one another one time and then they seed based on record that's the most points yeah that's yeah. straight up dumb yeah so boston could go from the one seed to the four seed in three games that's so stupid that's that why would, that's that's why boston got screwed over like i wouldn't make sense if it's boston versus tampa to, to fit one and two, one and two, one and two, and one and two. Well, we're, we're still talking about whoever comes out of those playing rounds is playing one of those teams. But we're talking about the difference of, you know. Playing Toronto and Columbus or. Or playing Montreal-Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, the difference, Boston would be playing Montreal-Pittsburgh. If they, if they you know, finish fourth, they might end up playing Toronto in the first round, which would suck ass for them. I swear to God, I thought it was. One, I, I swear, I thought it was just one and two, one and two, one and two. I could be wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, I don't know. They're saying one through four, so maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, uh, everybody plays one another one time, those four teams. And uh, tiebreakers are decided by who had the highest points uh-huh. percentage during the regular season. So all Boston. Because Dallas was, so in the, the West, one through four was St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, Dallas. So instead of splitting it up by divisions, they just did the top four. So they basically yeah. said, fuck divisions. Let's go just straight conference at this point. Yeah, th- like this playoffs is an absolute clusterfuck. Honestly, I'd be okay with that. Go back to the one through fucking – get rid of – the only two – one and two should be for the division winners, and then should be seated three through eight as the rest of the league. Or the so rest just of the, the same way junior hockey does it. Yeah, just like the way they did it when they had three divisions. And, it, I mean, people will still complain about that uh, because – I let me pull up the OHL standings this year. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense at all. Play, the, I, I'm happy to see hockey back. I want the draft lottery at the end of the month. Um, I hope that Ottawa wins the draft lottery, but one, two, just to piss off Montreal fans. Um, so, just so you know, um, that – 
that standings though would still piss people off because if, even if we just want to look to the juniors this year, uh, the standings would have read normally Ottawa, Peterborough, Oshawa, Sudbury. And instead they read Ottawa, Sudbury, Peterborough, Oshawa. So, you know, Peterborough all of a sudden, instead of playing Hamilton is playing Mississauga, which is obviously not favorable for them because they have to play a harder team or a better team. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you have the two division winners because if you don't, you have to just abolish like a, you have to abolish divisions. Oh, exactly. I mean, there has to be a reason to want to win your division. So, and then you just seed it three through eight, just like you did when you had three divisions, where it was one, two, three, and then the remaining, you know, five teams were slotted as in points. I also think they should get rid of points and just go to win percentage because every other league or, does it. Or go to the three point system, which would work better. No, three points. Oh, you, a win, a win is a win, a loss is a loss. Why the hell? This is my thing. If we're so holy doly on this loser point, why don't we just make the, the playoffs a best of eight? The first person to eight, eight points. And if you lose in overtime, you get a fucking point. It, it still requires the same amount of games. You, you only need four wins. It's funny. Four, any kind of combination of four wins. It's funny you say that because in minor like, hockey, uh, that's how it, it, it goes. It's it's a five-game series, but the win- first team to five points wins the series. Yeah. Like, it's, it's so just, stupid. It's just like, I'm sorry, but if we're holy dough on this fucking loser point, the only sport to dish out loser points, put it in the fucking playoffs. <laughs> just say, fuck it. It's not a best-of-seven-game series. You play seven games. You need four. You need eight points or whatever. You can do it. Still four wins, technically, so you're not losing games, you're not adding games. But imagine a team winning by, by points. Let's say they lose their first <laughs> two games. They lose the first two games in overtime. It's 4-2. Going back to game three, they win game three, four, and five. And they win this series on game five. But or they- even worse, they lose in overtime, but they've won the series. Yeah. Like, it would be great. Just because fuck the loser point. If you really like this, like, I hate people who are like, oh, the loser point's great. It's only great until it fucks you in the playoffs. Also, Yeah, I'd, I'd rather get rid of it, but I think the three-point system would just, you know, get rid of it equally as so, and it would, it would get rid of the teams that don't win in regulation either. Not really. I mean, it would. If, if you change from you get three points for a win, zero for a loss, and if you win in overtime, you get two. And you get one point if you lose in overtime. You know the teams that lose in, or that win in overtime don't have as many. Obviously, wouldn't have as many points. That's why you look at row, right? How many teams are winning in overtime? Man, most rows I've seen are like twenty four, twenty five, compared to regulation where it's like twenty one. Yeah, I, I, I think honestly, people, very few teams, unless you're like Florida from like a four or five years ago, where they had like eighteen <laughs> fucking overtime losses. Like, what? Yeah. No, but like, like, that's the, that's the kind most, of thing. You, you don't want that. Like, Ottawa, I think, was one of the few teams that actually played in overtime consistently. It's because, fuck Hogbrook. He just wouldn't let us lose in, in regulation. <laughs> but, I don't know. I think the loser point's stupid. The point system's stupid. Get rid of it. Go straight to, to point. Like, just do win percentage. Every other major league does it. Soccer is yep. the only one that does points, and I still think it's stupid, but that's only because they have draws all the time. Well, that's, that's like, you know it. It's a blow, like, I think that my issue is, you know it's a blowout in soccer when it's only 2 nothing. 
That's what they consider a blowout. That's ridiculous. It's two nothing, not a blowout. A blowout it's like five nothing, which has happened. But like they need points because they have so many damn draws. Hockey does not need points. Like also, what's the point of a loser point? The point of the extra like that that one point was when it, the, the two the two points were split evenly for a tie. Yeah. Where is this third point coming from? Well, that's what I'm saying. If you go to the if you go to the three point system, then all of a sudden you don't have this extra bullshit point that comes out of somebody's ass. Like, where does this extra point just magically pop out of? It makes and that's 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 why it's a shame when somebody makes it to the playoffs because they have more loser points. That's it's LA like, in 2012. You don't like, want that. 2014. They and they won the cup because of loser points. And they won the cup. Yeah. You literally take them as a win-loss. It's just like winning percentage. They don't make the, they're they're tenth in the West. Like, yeah, I mean, baseball does it. Basketball does it. And um, football does it. And and football does it. I mean, football a little bit harder to keep. I mean, well, the CFL, CFL does, does points it. too. The CFL Which does points. Stupid. It makes it, nobody actually cares about the points. Everybody just looks at the record. Yeah. But, because I mean, no. To be fair, points make it easy when it comes down to the wire where you're looking at how many points you need to make the playoffs, but like at the end of the day, it it makes no difference. They could make each point or each win worth 10 points and it wouldn't make a single difference. No, it wouldn't. But like there was also one year where Florida literally you go based off win percentage. They go from winning their division to dropping, which had them in third in the, the Eastern conference to being out of the playoffs. (laughs) And it's like, this is why you don't have a loser point because you shouldn't be bent. This is this is the problem. Hockey breeds this whole participation trophy fucking mentality because you're giving out loser points. Oh, it's okay, you lost. We're still gonna give you a magical point that you don't deserve. So <laughs> I want to go back to junior because junior is obviously that's that's my stuff. Um, Ottawa had one loser point this year at 101 points. I know. Oshawa, I was Oshawa had <coughs> 11 loser points and had 73 points. Peterborough had four loser points. Barry had six. Mississauga had five. Hamilton had eight. Kingston had four. Like, you know, teams had a whole bunch. Of, Windsor had eight loser points. Like, I know. It pissed me off. How I, do you I, have 11 I, loser points and only 73 points? Yeah, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> um, well, we got we got off topic so so much on this episode. We did. We touched on what we were originally going to touch on, yes. at least briefly. <laughs> um, that's kind of what happens when we start talking sports. We kind of just branch off and talk about multiple different things. Um, but that's going to be it for this episode. It's a long one. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Frankie, for coming on. Absolutely. Uh, obviously, give him a follow at six one three Frankie, as well as. His podcast, the Hockey po- Pro- Hockey Prospects Report. Holy hell, that's hard to say for me today. Don't know why, but give him a follow. Uh, you can also find our venture at the Thirteenth Man Podcast. If you're into more rambling, find you, but like, do you have any final words? Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was fun coming on. Uh, you can find my pro or my prospect, my podcast on Twitter at hpr underscore podcast. And then obviously you can find me at six one three Frankie. Um, other than that, I mean, j- yeah, just like like Shane said, check out our 
joint venture with the 13th man podcast there's some fun stuff going on there if you're a cfl fan yeah and uh guys before we wrap it up uh it's my last episode uh well not necessarily my last episode but it's technically the last episode of the season uh we won't be having new episodes every monday uh obviously when the draft rolls around i'm gonna have an episode for that to talk about whatever happens there um but yeah there won't be as many episodes dropping throughout the weeks um so thank you for listening it's been a pleasure doing this i'm obviously going to be back probably every two weeks i think that that's appropriate uh dropping an episode every two weeks but again you can find me at shane underscore ryan 97 you can follow uh the 13th man podcast as well as centurion since centurion 92 for the centurion overtaking podcast um but take a, a follow, like keep, put, put hit your notifications on my personal because I have a couple of ventures that are going to be releasing over the next couple of weeks as we transition in the summer. Um, and it's going to be good. I think y'all are going to enjoy it. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Frankie, for coming on. And we will catch you later.